All right. All right, everyone. Welcome to the October 29th episode of the Stir Livingston County. We are back here in Stir Pod Studios here in Howell, Michigan, with myself, Casey Helton, uh, and my co-hosts, Jay Sardledge and Elena Keaton. And as you can see here, we have a very special guest. <laughs> this is John King. The legendary voice of Livingston County for the last, (laughs) gosh, I don't want to make you sound too old or anything, man. (laughs) 20 Um, years. 20 years. 21 years. years. Yes. Yes. So last week on The Stir, we had the mayor of Howell, Bob Ellis, on our show. And now we have have John King on our show. I feel like we are going legit here at our podcast. Downhill. But, uh, <laughs> but I'll do. I'll I'll accept your judgment. <laughs> no, 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 no. We 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 are so excited that you're here today. This Thank is you. a real treat. Um, yeah, definitely. So, just to give a little bit of information um, about John, if for the people who live under a rock in Livingston County and maybe have never never seen or heard this man before, I don't know how that's possible. But like I said, John has been a journalist for more than thirty five years. Um, including uh, 20, what was it, 20 out here in Livingston County? Uh, yeah, 20 years, 21 years. Okay. Uh, April of 2002 is when I began. A- out here in Livingston, yeah. a- as, a, as a radio, yeah, uh, in I, radio. I became the news director at WHMI April of 2002. Yeah, because I, I remember I... I worked for the Livingston Daily Press in Argus back in the early in the early 2000s. I left in in uh, I think it was 2003, and I remember you know we would you know we we were both kind of journalists at that time. We were almost kind of competitors, but not really because it was a different medium. But we were though uh, to the extent that I mean it's such a different time, and I know we're you know going to talk about that a little bit. But yeah. I mean I will say that. Back in those days, my day started with I would come in early and I would get my copy of the Livingston County Daily Press and Argus and I would open it up and I would look through, I would remember papers and I would (laughs) read it and I would look and I would be, and it would be like, all right, got that story. Oh, I missed that. Why did we miss that? And it was, it was a, it was a competition and to the betterment of the community that there was a competition. Competition is good. Yeah, it is. It was in the sense of, it upped our game, and I felt like as we became more of, you know, uh, news-focused, you know, that there was a competition, and to get that story first and get it right, and, and, and that's good. That's Friendly competition, yeah, it, but it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We sharpened one another's uh, skills from bo- in both mediums, right. for sure. Those were kind of the golden years of journalism out here in the county, but like you said, we're going to talk a little about more about that uh just a few other things about john um he's past president of the michigan associated press media editors association in 2021 he won best investigative story winner from the michigan association of broadcasters he's faculty at cleary university he's on the board of uh, directors for the livingston diversity council and as if all of that wasn't enough (laughs) i don't know where you find the time but you also wrote you're a children's book author. You wrote a children's book called Ishkadoodle, which is available on Amazon and at our local booksellers, I think. It is, yes. As well. Um, right. And, uh, uh, you know, um, it is, uh, that that was more of a, a vanity project. Uh, it's interesting in the sense that uh, that story, Ishkadoodle, and I wrote a, another book called Ishkadoodle and the Eight Planets of Hanukkah, which is a, a follow-up book to that, was really a story that I used to tell my kids uh, to, at bedtime. 
Mm-hmm. And um, because my oldest, who's 25 now, but when he was a little, little kid, he used to love vacuum cleaners. <coughs> and so Ishkadoodle, the full title of it is Ishkadoodle, The Adventures of Ishkadoodle, uh, you know, uh, a boy and his uh, best friend, the vacuum cleaner. And so, uh, and I would, my son loved vacuum cleaners when he was a little boy. <laughs> And so, which was weird, because once he became a teenager, you wanted nothing to do with vacuum cleaners. Uh, but with his little boy, it was fun. And so I would tell this story, and I made up this whole story about this you know, boy and his friend, the vacuum cleaner, and they go on these adventures. So I told that story to my kids for years, and then at a certain point, I uh, was like, oh, we should turn that into a kid's book. And, yeah. and so I wrote that, and... Um, because I thought, you know, how hard can it be to write a children's book, right? And then I learned that it's actually very hard. Mm-hmm. And um, I have, I gained great newfound respect for people who write books, children's books that you think are real easy. And you think, oh, I could do that. And it's like, yeah, once you sit down and do it, you realize how hard it is to do it well and do it right. So I, I'm glad I did that. And it was fun. But like, the thing I came out of that with was like, this is not my... Melu, uh, you know. So anyway, it's well, a, it's a, I bought it for yeah. my nephews, and they yeah. really liked it. It was a fun thing, so, but yeah, that's uh, I did it and done. That's a great. That, that's great. Well, um, we're just like I said, we're very glad we we have you here because we do want you know we do want to talk a little bit about you know. This has been, I feel like, for the past few years. So I've lived out here in this county. For 30 years, you know, I, I lived away for about nine, but so I have a, you know, I'm, I was telling my husband last night between the two of us, we're, 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 we're almost 50, both, both of us. We've seen, you know, we've seen changes throughout our time. Ella, don't giggle. <laughs> but yeah. like, we're, we're, <laughs> no. we're old, we're so old, but like. But no, I've lived most of my life out here in this county. And so when you've lived here as long as we have, you've you Jace, you know, you're you're newer to the area. You you're from right. South Lyon, but like right. in the county Close but, enough. <laughs> but we've seen we've had some, you know, there's there's things that are really changing out here and it feels like they're changing quickly. Yeah. Um especially in this county, the dynamics are changing. And some of it for the better. And some of it, so much, not so much for the better. And I kind of did want to talk about like how, what you, what you, I've heard you refer to in previous, you've been interviewed in the past, specifically when you had your departure from WHMI. And we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit, but you referred to the idea of a news desert Mm -hmm. um, in local journal. And a news desert is this idea that in a, so the jur- journalism, no matter whether it's broadcast or print, is considered the fourth estate, okay? That's kind of what, what it's called. It's to hold our representative uh, elected officials accountable, right? It's yeah. our voice. It's right. the voice of the people, and it's a watchdog. It's a lot of things. And we, at some point, you know, we did have a really robust media infrastructure out here in Livingston County through, like I said, both both print and and broadcast and and you know we would you know strengthen each other in that way we talked about that but so much of that has changed like in the last 10 years so the the um livingston daily press and argus which i used to work for was owned by um hometown newspapers which was a small company um that was bought out by gannett which is a large one of the largest corporate media conglomerates in the world and i think the 
the people who write for the press and Argus right now, their their staff has been whittled down. Like, I think it's like two or three people. And I think the women who I, it's mostly women reporters, I think there's like two or three of them. They do a really good job with the resources that they have. But it's nothing compared to what 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 our news organization was at the press and Argus when we were a daily newspaper fully funded under under Phil Power and Hometown, which right. is the company that used to own um, the Press and Argus. Uh, I, myself, my, my whole job was covering just Pinckney and Pinckney schools. So, like, that's what I did five days a week. That was just, that was my desk. Like, whatever happened in Pinckney was my desk. And by covering Pinckney on a regular basis, you developed relationships and you had institutional memory about what went on. In other words, you they could rely on you to know from meeting to meeting to meeting what was being discussed and what was going on. And, 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 and I think officials knew, the school board and others, that you would be writing about. They knew they could expect that there was going to be a reporter there, that there, you know. They, yeah, they knew these me. things were going to be. And so when I talk about a desert, I mean, when you look at, uh, to, to, to complete the analogy, I mean, you can have a lush, uh, you know, climate, lush forest if you deprive it of water it will wither and become a desert. And that's really what I think has happened to to local media in the sense of, like you said, the Daily Press and Argus gets bought by a big corporation um, whose uh, main pursuit is not journalism. Mm -hmm. It is, yes, oh, we own newspapers, journal. Their main pursuit is uh, shareholder value. That's, That's the purpose of Gannett is to create profit and enrich its shareholders. That's their job. Um, so the CEOs of Gannett, uh, they are beholden to shareholders, and that's the end of that. And that, and so you see that ripple down into local communities. Um, it's the same with the radio station, previously owned, local, uh, locally owned, and then bought by a more corporate entity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's the same thing in the sense of uh, you said there's you know, and I know a couple of the reporters at, at the at the Press and Argus now. Great journalists. Yeah. They work hard and, and people will knock them. And I, it's not fair, but the resources have completely dwindled down. They're not necessarily full time. They don't they, they're working only a few days a week. Uh, and you see that with other media as well. Um, I don't even know where their offices are because the, the they, office they inhabit a single office in the Brighton Chamber of Commerce. Oh, OK. Um, and and I think they do. And again, I'm only saying this like they are working under incredible stress and doing a great job. Yeah. But the day to day, like so if you any I've read some great stories and they've done some good stuff, but it's just it's hit or miss and there's just not enough of it. No. Um, and there's not what gets lost is is the beat coverage, which is what you were talking about, is that there's not the regular, consistent coverage of local governments. Mm -hmm. Um, And to the extent that we talk about a fourth estate, I mean, the press is the only non-governmental institution that's mentioned in the the Constitution. Uh, That's why it's called the fourth estate. Uh, And so, uh, you know, there is a vital purpose for the press, and it is to hold the government accountable. Um, and we're in, in, in Livingston County and in communities across this country where there used to be multiple media outlets, there are now either just far less or just none. Um, so and this is a the national best. problem yeah. as well. Yeah, I, I mean, this I, it, is it, happening on a national is. scale yeah. as well as local. It absolutely is. I mean, Gannett is a, is a prime example of uh, when they come in and they buy up all these papers, there are far less newspapers now 
than there were 10 years ago that were under Gannett. They just simply closed them or consolidated them. And really, when those companies were bought out, and I mean, I had already left the newspaper when Gannett bought it. I, I had... I did, I did five years as a reporter, and then I left to go pursue other things. Um, but my mom still worked there. She, My mom worked in accounts payable for, for 30 years. She she knew. I grew up in that office right. Right, there on the, uh, right there on Grand River. I used to walk there when I was a kid from home from school. Uh, not home from school, but to visit my mom, you know. Um, and I saw because my mother was still employed there, I saw the burden that it really put on people who had dedicated their lives to that institution for decades. And a lot of really good news people like Maria Stewart, they were let go. And Maria's colleague, uh, Maria's co-editor, Buddy Morehouse as well. Maria used to be my editor. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're seeing now is that, and I mean, this has been going on for a while, but like, these voices still haven't gone away. You know, you've got what you're working on right now, which is Mike and John got it going on. You know, you know, you will, we're going to talk just in a minute about what happened to you. I keep saying that, but we will get to it. But you, you took your departure from WHMI and you turned it into something completely your own. And you, you, you stayed in that gap which I really admire you for. You're a very resilient person. And that is one of the things about you that I do, I do really find so admirable about you. Um, and also, I, I say that about Maria Stewart, too, with the Livingston Post. You know, this was a lot much longer ago. This was mm -hmm. over 10 years ago. But Mar when Maria, let, uh, w you know, was laid off from the news desk when Gannett bought out, she took her own thing and made the Livingston Post, you right. know, and, and, and refused almost in a really heroic fashion, I feel, to not let this area, they, because they knew the cost of that, to not let this area just rely on corporate media to 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 cover what happens here. Right, right, and I, you know, right, and I think Maria is a perfect example in what she's done with the Livingston Post, uh, and it's become its own institution, and it provides a vital role, I think, of uh, providing good analysis and commentary to what's going on in the county, and um, uh, and and so you're right that she took that and, and created the Livingston Post uh, in her situation, and I, you know, I I, I don't know this to, for a fact, but my my guess is, and I'm a friend of Maria, and I've talked to her a lot uh, on different things, but, you know, it was the same thing when, when I left the radio station. It, it, you know, the, the thing is, the, I, I live here. I'm raising children here. It was the same with her. She was raising her son. You know, I have three kids. Uh, so the notion of that I'm just going to either, A, leave this community because I've lost, you know, a job. Nothing lasts forever. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, you're like, yes, it's disappointing um, and, uh, you know, many other emotions. But I live in this community and I am raising kids in this community. So I'm not just going to abandon this community. And that, that kind of is at the heart of it. I mean, there's a lot of other factors that go into why, you know, Maria did what she did or why mm -hmm. uh, myself and my partner, Mike Marino, who I, you know, I have to I have to make a huge mention of. It's not just me, uh, you know. Uh, you know, Mike uh, made the, uh, you know, brave decision to say, you know what, if this is how they're going to treat you, I don't need to work here either. Mm -hmm. And agreed to, you know, to leave with me. And we walked out on, you know, we left with our heads held high. 
um, and on our terms. And we, we were able to say goodbye to our audience and say thank you. It's been an honor for you know for us to be in your in your lives. Thank you so much. But this is our last day. We're leaving, and we did. And he was very uh, brave to do that. He did not have to do that. I tried multiple times to talk him out of that, mm-hmm. and he didn't. He just truly was like, if that's how they're going to treat you, then why would I want to work here? Right. So that being the case, when we did leave, really. There, it's easy to think like, oh, we had this fully formed plan of you know what we were going to do. It's like, oh no, and you know, really, there's the high of that moment of that energy of like, yes, you know, take this job, <laughs> shove it, and walk off the air. Yeah, <laughs> not that we said that, but I mean, that was kind of our attitude, and we left. And then it's like, now what? Um, and so it really, we, you know, it was a couple of discussions. I was like, well, I guess we could do a podcast. So you this know, idea of a podcast, it didn't come like right away. It was not before. It, we certainly didn't have it before. And it came within a few days of us leaving. Like, mm-hmm. I guess we'll do a podcast. And it was like, what kind of a podcast? And we talked about that and so on and so forth. And so by the time we got together to do the podcast, it was like, well, we're going to do what made us successful uh, at WHMI. And at WHMI, we were successful because we focused on the community. Mm-hmm. Because we would routinely and regularly have local community groups on the morning show. And mm-hmm. we would highlight various groups and their activities and fundraisers and interesting people and things like that. And then uh, uh, events and issues that were of interest, uh, you know, to people that they cared about. So that was our focus. And we said, let's do that with the podcast. But even then, when we first started, I did not originally have the uh, idea that we were going to do news coverage, that we were going to do news coverage. But almost immediately after we started the podcast, we heard from listeners who said, okay, this is nice. Where's the news? Yeah. yeah. Um, and they knew they weren't going to get it elsewhere. And so that's where that, and it, it was, it was a process, I guess is what I'm saying. Cause you were the news desk, the de- news media director. At news, WH- direct, news, news director. News director at WHMI. Right. right. So, I mean, obviously in your departure, people, that's, there's a vacuum there because who, who, who would have been available to fulfill to fill that position right away? And then you, I, I feel like you were really concerned, you know, like, I don't know. I, I know it maybe wasn't maybe your initial idea to do news, but like I could see how it happened that you did end up doing news because you are a person who has deep convictions about what goes on in the community. And it just seems like you would not be able to walk away from that. So we're really glad that, you know, that you didn't do that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Because uh, yeah. uh, I still rely on you for news like all the time. You know what I mean? Like, well, and, you're and, my go-to person. Yeah, and and I think in conjunction with that, and so is at the same time, uh, Susan Demas with Michigan Advance, who, by the way, used to work at the Livingston County Daily yeah, Press in Argus at mm-hmm. one time. Another reporter. She was the editor of the Michigan Advance. She reached out to me and said, "Hey, I heard about what happened." Uh, I really appreciate your work. Is would you like to do some freelance stuff with us? And I said, well, yeah, absolutely. So those things all and I, and so really within two weeks of me leaving the radio station, I was already doing freelance stuff for Michigan Advance. Mm-hmm. We had just started the podcast, and then pretty quickly after we started the podcast, I started doing news coverage there. So again, it was a bit of a process, but um, I, you know, I also have to you know uh, say uh, hats off. I have you know a lot of. Uh, gratitude towards um, Susan and what Michigan Advance did to reach out and say, hey, here's another opportunity for you to do. And I, and, and I continue to freelance for them and have been able to do some, I think, some excellent work. Uh, and I don't mean like, oh, my work is so excellent. I just mean <laughs> that the good, issues that we're able to cover, the things that we're able to do, 
Um, that's what I appreciate. It's the true work of a journalist uh, to be able to look at all sides of a story. And really, uh, what I think the other part of that news desert we were talking about is you can report what happened, okay? Yeah. It, it's The important part of it is is the context of why it happened. And that's where good journalism, that's the difference between yes. being a reporter mm -hmm. and being a journalist. Right. Um, and just to, in generally speaking. And so for many years, I did not refer to myself as a journalist. I referred to myself as a reporter. I was a news director of the radio station and I was a reporter. That's how I saw myself. And, and I'm not... If I'm not denigrating being a reporter at all, it's a very important job. I think where journalism comes into reporting is when you do provide the context. It is to dig a little bit deeper and provide the listener slash viewer slash reader a the context of why this decision was made. Right. Why is this happening? If you don't do that, then you're it's a disservice. And I think this is where a lot of uh, corporate run media. Um, is not journalistic in nature. It is it is a, a recitation of of it's essentially uh, a recitation of what happened. It's it's no not much better than reading the meeting minutes. Well, in order to get that context, you need to have report like bringing this back around full circle. But you need to have reporters that are familiar with the. A whole the whole part of the community, not just what happens at a singular meeting. You know right. what I mean? You need people who who have that context, you know, from experience. And you build relationships. Yes. Look, for 20 years as the news director of WHMI, I built relationships with a variety of individuals, elected officials and others, Democrats and Republicans, mm -hmm. conservatives and progressives, uh, whoever. And and. Time and time again, uh, you know, I was able to demonstrate to folks that uh, if something was said to me off the record, it was off the record. You mm -hmm. have to build that bridge. Right? Yeah. You have to build that trust. And I did for 20 years. And in fact, uh, you know, I had a number of people reach out to me after the situation with the radio station um, who were uh, astounded at the notion they were like, I don't know. Oh, it was understand. a huge upset. It I, well, was here. I mean, it was major the, news. But the notion that somehow I was let go because I had some bias. And yeah. these people were, and I'm talking about elected Republicans who reached out to me and said, I, I didn't know you were biased. <laughs> what, what are they talking <laughs> about? Because they knew through the years I built relationships with these individuals and would report stories and they could tell me things off the record and it would stay off the record and so on and so well, forth. The people, I don't mean to interrupt, but really, I followed what happened to you very closely. Um, and from what I could tell, the people who were complaining about bias were the people who didn't want those blanks filled in to begin with because they were quite indefensible on their face from like, um, so one of the attacks against you was that like your bias was rooted in like, they're like, they made complaints against the LGBTQ um, community out here. And they were saying some really nasty things. The people who were fighting hard for your ouster. And I'm just going to come out and say it because it, you can find it um, online. They, they, have, they, they came out and said this of the, on their own, that they were actively campaigning to get you fired. People like Larry Parsons, people like Jennifer Smith, who's the current chair of the Livingston County Republican Party, they bragged about this um, 
this this campaign to go to get you fired. Well, you know what they are? They're liars. Well, they didn't lie about this. They were actually um they were actually doing that. Like they were proud of it. Yes. And what was upset what what was upsetting them How is can it someone that lies so much be complaining about bias though? Well, that's an interesting question. Well, you know, it's so specific to that, you what really look, you mentioned earlier that I'm on the Livingston County Diversity Council. Yeah. I'm a board member. Uh, I've probably been involved with the Diversity Council for years. Uh, I've been on the board for two going on three years. Uh, you know, one of the things that we did when I was on the Diversity Council, we, there's a book called I Am Jazz, very famous book. It's a children's book, tells the story of jazz, uh, you know, young child who who came out as trans. And, um, and, and it, it, we did a, a project involving local uh, officials and local, you know, uh, uh, you know, celebrities, so to speak, and others, where we read this book for the for the diversity council. We each read a portion of this book. They made a YouTube video, and it was it was about acceptance. It was about trans awareness and trans acceptance. And when this video came out, by the way, this video came out, and it was only about six months later that suddenly I began to see a lot of online things. You mentioned uh, a particular individual, uh, mm. persons, <laughs> and um, who began to take that and then say if you are reading this book if you are making a youtube video where you're reading portions of a children's book about being trans then you are a pedophile and it was a you talk about lies yeah. it was a straight up connection it wasn't some subtle inference it was a straight up if you are in support of trans individuals, you're a pedophile, plain and simple. And this began online as a campaign, yeah. mm -hmm. not just against me, but others that took Gro part in They this, called yeah. them and groomers. groomers right. I've been called a groomer. Jace has been called a groomer. Right. We've all been called this term groomers just because we support people like our well, friends who I are members I've of the- I have been called that yet. So. Well, I, I mean, think that's because I'm the one being groomed. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all a joke, really, because what it is, is just a way to intimidate and silence people from showing their their support and alliance for people who are a part of the LGBTQ community. And one of them, John, which I haven't mentioned here, but one of them is your son. Right. You you are the you are the father of a trans son. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, when. Uh, you know, when my son uh, came out to us and really came out to his siblings first and then and then to us, I mean, this was a process for I was, you know, uh, very open minded and very, uh, uh, you know, uh, pro LGBTQ. But I, I there's so much I didn't know. And when your kid comes out to you and says and, and it's, you know, I went through a process that I think a lot of parents went through have go through, which is. Uh, is this a fad? Is this uh, you know, what is this? What is it? Um, right. And 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 I don't want to get into the specific details of my child, but I will say this: it wasn't long before I realized that my child was hurting, and my child was n was not only just unhappy, but was miserable, uh, and that they were they were coming to me as a parent and really asking. Uh, can you help me not be miserable? And I think any parent has to, I just, I'm always amazed by parents 
who don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when that realization came out that I, I realized my child is miserable uh, and that they they are, they are telling me something, I need to listen. And so I did. And I did listen to my child. And we did go through... Uh, you know, a process. And, um, you know, uh, again, when we talk about lies, we talk about trans healthcare um, and the lies that, you know, you would have. And we're talking about these aren't just the the unaffiliated lies that are just all over the social media and, and, and who knows who's saying them. I mean, we're talking about things that are coming from official and let's be honest, Republican sources that are pushing this narrative of that uh, you know, uh, that uh, t- teachers are just uh, randomly providing trans health care to children. I mean, this right. most ridiculous thing or that kids are being convinced to be trans. And I'm like, I mean, the more the most preposterous thing yeah. I could not imagine. And so my lived personal experience through my child was something that, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm supporting my child in 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 their uh in, in their journey. Um, and you know, there was, uh, you know, we, there was therapy, there were experts that were consulted, uh, there were doctors, there was a full regimen of let's do this and find out what we can find out. And we did, and we followed through and we listened to the experts. Mm -hmm. We didn't listen to the neighbors. We didn't right. listen to the politicians. We listened to our kid and we listened to the experts. Because they had a medical and a psychological condition. That's who you listen to when your child is going through any sort of medical right. or and psychological s- situation. And so you listen the- to experts. Yeah, exactly. Not online and, trolls. Well, and, and, <laughs> I mean, and again, we, we, we are living in an age in which expertise is disdained and is uh, uh, almost a qua- is a disqualification. If you're an expert in something now, I mean, <laughs> look at look at what you know with COVID. Right. Uh, if you're right. an epidemiologist, for a lot of people, the fact that you're an epidemiologist disqualifies you right. to talk to folks about vaccination or about uh, right. uh, you know things that have to do uh, you know uh, with the virus or you know. Uh, and, and well, how well it's to bring it back, I, I don't yeah, mean to sorry. interrupt. No, 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 because I want to. I want to continue <laughs> yeah, this train bring of thought. Me in as needed. Because, because I think it's important to note that these attacks on you, um, on your job at WHMI, came about within the context of COVID. Just like right. what happened to me, and you actually wrote stories about me. I, I called you. I remember when I, when I got the call from um, the sheriff's department that they were investigating me on a potential felony for tweeting about a nurse who spread COVID misinformation at a public meeting. You were the first person I called because I knew that this was ridiculous. I knew that it was not not legal, and that you would be a person who could get my story out because that is how I was going to protect myself in in this story because I knew that if I stayed silent on on this issue, that is what they wanted me to do and that they could really do whatever they wanted to me and if if I just hid in the corner. You know what I mean? I needed to get my story out there, and I knew that you were a person who could do that for me because I knew they were wrong. And in the context of covering your story, so here's the thing. You reach out to me with this story, and I go, this is interesting. Yeah. But then what I did what any journalist would do, which is, okay, I've heard from you. Now I'm going to reach out to the sheriff. And I did talk to the sheriff, and I got you know his perspective on this. 
the nurse that you were talking about, I reached out to her, uh, and as I recall, I don't believe that she responded to me, but I did I did reach out. If she did, it was probably <laughs> expletives. Mm -hmm. uh, but I did reach out, and, and the point is, is that, you know, again, reporting a story you know, is, uh, it, it is a matter of making sure you get all the perspectives. Where I think sometimes things go haywire is that there's the notion of um, uh, a story is fair, quote unquote, mm -hmm. if, okay, if I talk to you and I get your soundbite mm -hmm. and then I talk to the sheriff and I get his soundbite and I go, here's a story, your soundbite, his soundbite, done. It's fair and balanced. It's not fair. And so, yes, I provided two different perspectives, but this goes back to what I was talking about before. It's the context right. yeah. is where things go. People go, whoa, why are you bringing that up? So if you talk about, uh, you know, in the notion of, of that particular story or any other story where you say, well, you know, uh, you know, the accusation was made in this case, but why wouldn't it be made in this case? In other words, if an elected official acts a particular way in one instance, but then acts contrary in a different instance, this is context that needs to be provided yeah. of why would you act one way with one person and another way with another person right. if the situation is similar? And so this is where the context comes and into And that's actually kind of what I was trying to get at is that the, the fact that this did take place during COVID when we were losing 1.1 million people like, in this, I, I don't know how many people died in Michigan of COVID. Do you know? Do you know any of the numbers on that? Like uh, it was a lot in the county. I think it was like 500, 400, right. something like that. And then you know, worldwide, millions of people died of COVID. And and we were there were decisions on a local level that were being made, like at the county board around COVID, and even continue to be made even as of a couple of weeks ago or last week. I think we could talk about that in a minute, but. What I'm trying to say is, and maybe I'm not saying this right, but like there, the complaints about, tr about I am jazz and your views on LGBTQ and all of this stuff, it's a distraction as it always is because it, it was taking place in the midst of a time when people did not want the full story on what was going on here in COVID talked about. They didn't want context with that. No, not because of what they, the county board was doing. Right. Not only did they did they not want context, they only wanted a particular narrative only. Yeah, that covered. resonated with them. Uh, exactly. And well, so yeah. Please. I also think when you talk about this, you talk about context, I think laziness plays a lot of part in a mm -hmm. lot of people. Um I always try to get people to research. I'm going to give you what I know. I'll tell you where to look. I'll tell you what to do. You can look in your own places, but you need to find out the truth for yourself because I think it's very important. I mean, going back to the, you know, the trans, you know, cause people know that I'm trans and, and my thing is, is when they talk about gender affirming, people don't realize that letting your son or, or, Anybody's son. I say your son, but I know your son. Letting them grow their hair because they want to be Susie instead of Steve, that's gender affirming. Right. If you want them, if they want to wear dresses, that's gender affirming. And it doesn't have to be. It simply starts with names and pronouns. Exactly. I mean, the, 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 the easiest, I, I will say this, I, I, I will just, let me just say this. The things that I thought would be the toughest mm -hmm. in in the in terms of the journey were the were like the, the things that were just the, it, originally I thought, 
a different name and a different pronoun. This will be so weird and odd. And it's like, honestly, that was like the easiest. Du- exactly. And I look back and I go, well, that was the dumbest thing for me to worry about. Exactly. I, it's the same person. Right. But but it's the same thing with any And that's names. gender affirming care. <coughs> exactly. Simply using a name and a pronoun is gender affirming. But it's the same with what you're talking about with context with everything. Right. People don't want to hear. They only want to hear what they want to hear. And I think that's a big deal. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, to the extent that, uh, you know, when we think about the stories that are uh, big now, that are, right. are re- that are in headlines now. Yeah, I want like, to talk yeah, about that. Like, what are some of what are yeah. a couple what are a couple headlines well, going on right I mean, now that are interesting? You, know, you, 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 you alluded to earlier about the county commission and, you know, uh, just last week, uh, the, the county board of commissioners uh, voted not unanimously, which. In this county is actually quite a story when you don't get an unanimous vote on an all Republican. <laughs> I had board. it. I had it predicted right. Yeah. I said six to three, yeah. and that's exactly what and, happened. And so, but they created this health advisory board, <laughs> which was, uh, you know, proposed by Commissioner Nakagiri. Uh, that its its entire purpose is very clear. Uh, if you read the, you know, if you read the documents, um, it, it is to uh, basically provide a mechanism by which decisions that the health department makes can be disputed if they're not agreed to can I and so yes please talk about this a little yeah. bit because i was actually at that board meeting oh yeah tell us yeah so i actually had to leave right in the middle of the discussion for this because let's uh, only run so late oh you got there by bus yes okay yes but but so i i was there one of the complaints that the other Republicans that were not West had was that the that this decision referenced a board of health which actually didn't exist. So West Nakagiri made like a policy, a resolution to interact with a government body that doesn't exist. And that was one of the things that the other Republicans on the board had a problem with. Uh, Right. I mean, specifically, I mean, you have, and again, commissioners, Dave Domus, not known for his progressive liberal leanings, (laughs) uh, Jay Gross (laughs) and Martin Smith object to the resolution. Smith calling the proposal, quote, a document based on fear and mistrust. Uh, And then you had Matt Bolang, the director of the County Health Department. I mean, this is the person that you have, uh, hired and appointed to run your county health department, and, and and Matt has been with the health department for many many, many years. years. Yeah, um, they tried to hold up his not his appointment for a long time, and then finally they were like, "I guess we'll appoint him." Um, and then he and I think this quote was a lot has a lot to think. He says, "I think you all have good intentions in mind with this, but this is how it affects the staff of my department. I worry about." some of the outcomes of this committee should the recommendations of the committee not align with recommendations from our resources in our department. I worry what the outcome is. Should the board of commissioner desire one set of actions? What does that discussion look like? What I think Mr. Boeing and I'm, I'm completely supposing here. I'm not, I don't have any special view into his mind, but I, those words to me are, uh, him expressing concern that again you have this appointed board uh, of of experts who Wes, by the way, Mr. Nakagiri says experts. he knows 
have them all lined up. Oh, I'm he sure he's... He I'm wouldn't sure, name who they sure, are. I'm sure Holly Austin has yeah. probably been asked. He would not name who they are. <laughs> and um, But one of the conditions was that... One of the things that's listed is that uh, you uh, be somebody who is part of the quote-unquote medical freedom movement. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, this goes into the whole COVID discussion, which we're... You know, we could be bogged down on that right. for a long time. But the point of all this is, is that we have this committee that's created... Um, to basically second-guess the health department. And you need not look any farther than Ottawa County to see what happens mm-hmm. uh, when you uh, basically disdain expertise and you find ways to basically ignore your uh, medical experts. Right. And so that's what really what this is created to do. And, um, you know... I, I, you know, I, I want to throw out a, a. We have a reporter that is working for us part time, uh, Leah Craig, who was able to cover that story, uh, and 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 you know she's covered it well. She, you know, w- we have limited resources. I'll say that at, at Giggo, I can't cover everything like we used to be able to cover. Mm-hmm. I don't have a staff of reporters. Yeah. Um. And uh. And I have other things and jobs and whatever. So the point is, is that uh, this is where the news desert part of this comes in. So fortunately, we were able to cover that story, but there have been other stories of other things that have gone at the county commission that we've not necessarily been able to cover because we're just not there. And you're just one organization. You know, right. Again, when I was at the paper, there was a whole a reporter, their whole job was to cover right. the county board of commissioners and, and other county-related news. So there's, there's a vacuum of accountability there because they know... That they can they can get away with this behavior because nobody is going to try to really hold them accountable for it. And really what it is, it's just more it's like more red meat for the base. It's not really it's it's not really these are not actions on the board that are being done in good faith. There's no genuine concern for medical facts, for for science, for medical science, for keep even for keeping people safe from from disease right. and 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 not just not just medical not just disease but also the health department does so much more than that before matt bowling took on that position as the director he was like i may get this wrong but the environmental director he was environmental health director he a lot of people don't know this about matt bowling but he was basically like the aaron brockovich of livingston county like he there was a tricoral ethylene plume over near diamond chrome plating which yeah. is not very far from here at all where i live right at the very end of mason road and he was just diligent about you know getting the word out to people that there's this plume and you need to get tested and you never even the board never even acknowledged that you know what i mean they just wanted to demonize him for for i still don't really understand why um and and they are intent on making this an adversarial relationship with him which doesn't serve anybody in the public i don't feel you know what i mean like if- well the whole idea of a medical freedom movement is the notion that uh when the health department says you need to wear a mask i mean let's go back to the pandemic and we think about that time you're right i mean we have Hundreds of Livingston County residents were lost. Tens of thousands of Michigan residents were lost. And more than a million Americans were lost uh, in this pandemic. And you have health departments uh, who, in Livingston County being one of them, who are making mask recommendations. Please wear a mask in this instance where we're, you know. And, and the state has, you know, obviously is putting these things down as well. And then vaccinations. Once the vaccine became available, this is really where, you know, you have this complete confluence of you can't tell us what to do uh and and the point is, is it's like 
this is the it's the entire idea of what it is to live in a community. And it's mm-hmm. like, you're right. I cannot make you get a vaccine and I can't make you wear a mask. But I can say as a community, we can say if you're not going to wear a mask, then you then maybe you should not be in a crowded place. Maybe you should not be uh, in a school setting, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, and, and and then with vaccinations, so on and so forth. And so uh, the notion that we had these, uh, uh, you know, uh, scientifically, uh, you know, uh, or, uh, orders, scientifically uh, backed notions of like, this is how we're going to try and deal with this public health crisis. And yes, in retrospect, we can look back and say, Okay, maybe masks, you know, weren't the best idea, but we can all Monday morning quarterback. Right, but right. It's the idea that somehow because the public health uh, officials didn't get it exactly right, 100% right out of the gate on a worldwide global pandemic mm-hmm. of a completely new nature that we then are supposed to just, uh, you know, completely ignore all health right. advice. And right. So, and I mean, the yeah. vaccines are the things that are, are enabling us to all sit in this room right. today Look, I, and be. I recently, you know, <laughs> you know? Uh, I contracted COVID for the first time uh, about a month ago. Okay. Okay. And it was the first time I'd ever had it. And here's, here, I didn't, I had mild symptoms, uh-huh. very mild symptoms. I tested, uh, my wife tested at one point and she said, well, I'm, I'm hot. She was the first time she had it too. She tested positive. Oh my God. So she uh, isolates in our house um, and uh, I tested negative. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, and then I tested again 48 hours later. I tested negative. I have mild symptoms, very mild. Like you would, it's just a cold. Yeah. I mean, you don't. You I know. had it once too. Right. And yeah. so I tested twice negative. And then my kid woke up and said, I don't feel good. And he said, all right, well, since we have an individual in the house that's already tested positive, even though they're isolating, let's just be safe. Let's <coughs> test. I tested my kid. They tested positive. I said, okay, well, you're staying mm-hmm. home. And their heart was broken. Mm-hmm. Um, they had mm-hmm. to miss school. Um, and I then took another test that morning, and I just tested the night before negative. I took a test that morning, and I tested positive. So... Again, this nature of, and I, my symptoms never were anything more than basically a little congestion. I never developed a serious cough. Mm-hmm. And so... You didn't have to go in the hospital? I didn't have to go in the hospital. And, and people go, well, see, it's not, it's not that bad of a disease. You go, no, they don't nope, understand. You're missing the point. I'm vaccinated and uh-huh. fully boosted. Right. And more, you know, the reason why my symptoms were mild, the reason why was because of that. And it's avoiding hospitalizations and not overburdening the healthcare system with hospitalizations. That's really, that's what we owe. That's what we owe our gratitude to vaccines for that. It's not, it, it's vaccines that made that happen. Not science deniers, not people who uh, don't mask, not people it's, it's who a, deny the science. Right, it's yeah. a purposeful disinformation that's been put out there yeah. about vaccines and masks and the pandemic. And it's that lack of reporting. It's that news desert, so to speak, and that corporate-based mm-hmm. uh, media right. that doesn't provide you the context. So in other words, we have a large number of people, not just in this county, but in this country, who really believe that, um, or at least have a, a some sort of a general belief that if you contract COVID after getting the vaccination, that means the vaccination was a failure. 
And it's a, it's a complete misunderstanding of what a vaccination is. Yeah. Um, and how there's no context. There's no context. Use that as an example. They're basically like cherry picking, right? Yes, absolutely. And let's be honest, there's a whole other aspect of this. And I know we're running short of time, but there we, you know, there's a whole other aspect. And that is that people are making money off of the disinformation and i don't know why that's one thing why it does it doesn't make sense to me when i listen to right-wingers like talk about this like they they talk about corporate media media corporate interest they complain about they don't talk about all the people who have gotten money and fame off of spreading the misinformation that that would that could kill them like it doesn't it doesn't seem to compute to them that there are grifters who have made money off of the inf- the information that they consume. I mean, all you got to do is look at Twitter right now. Look at Elon. Look at Pobasag. Look at look at um, all of these people. Uh, I uh, what's the guy with the the big head? Head. Big head. The big head. Um, There's so many big know, heads out there. I don't know. Right, we're here with the big head. It- <laughs> yeah, but I listen. No, I listen you know to them what's his name? Out. Big head guy. I don't know. You talk about He's got a lot of followers and things. But these people, they spread misinformation and they've made quite money and a name for themselves in the process. Right. And uh, so to sort of try and stand someone on track, you're talking about the state of media and journalism. Yeah. You know, this is the fracturing of, you know, one of the courses I teach at Cleary University, it's called Discourse and Delivery. It's, It's a media literacy course. And, you know, in that course, I talk to students about... The fracturing of our media in terms of when you when you go back uh, uh, to a time when there were a minimum amount of gatekeepers in terms of information that was able to get to the public. You had the networks, you had ABC, CBS, NBC. I mean, if you go back to the 60s and 70s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, you know, where you had a limited number of gatekeepers who were in charge of getting information to the public, and they were generally all trusted. They weren't. Yeah. If you if you were somebody that was a I'm an NBC guy, and you were another person that I'm a CBS guy, <laughs> they were pretty much seeing the same story. Yeah. Right. I mean, there right. wasn't a difference between these stories. As the media gets fractured, you know, as CNN comes along and suddenly we have a 24-hour news cycle, that mm-hmm. begins to change it. Then you see the, the deregulation in the mid-90s and the corporatization of media. Then you see social media come in. And that was really when the prism, it's, it was really like taking a mirror and just throwing it on the ground and fracturing it into a thousand pieces because now everyone's their own gatekeeper. Yes. And so... We build these news silos, uh, and you have people who are, you know, I talk about the idea of confirmation bias. I talk about the idea of cognitive dissonance in terms of uh, people uh, collate, correlate, um, you know, uh, really collate their own news sources that confirm their view of the world. And so if you're someone who's very ultra right wing conservative, there are certain news places that you're going to pull from and that's all. And anything else, you don't want to hear about it. You don't you you just don't want to hear about it. And if you're you know, if you're very much on the uh, to the left, uh, you know, arch, you know, leftists, uh, you're going to do the same thing. And Mm -hmm. to a certain extent, we all do this with social media. We 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 create our news silo that confirms our own particular biases. And even the idea of uh, uh, of acknowledging that fact, you you will have people that uh, don't really even want to acknowledge that in that 
um, that we have this wide variety of, of, of news and information out there. So I always hate the phrase, the media, you know, because to use the phrase, the media is like this amorphous, like it's all acting together mm-hmm. in one thing. And it's like, I, I, I kind of want to take your class, yeah. though, because that you sounds know, really fascinating. Um, it well, sounds. Well, yeah. Tell the 18, 19 guys <laughs> to take the class. <laughs> I, like, Wake up. No, I do. Uh, I do. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, so, you know, we, the, the idea that, uh, again, um, you know, that we need to we are responsible for so Jace, you mentioned about doing your research. I mean, we we heard that phrase all through the pandemic. Oh, I did my research, and you're like, well, did you though? Right. Um, I mean, right. yes, you went to your trusted confirmation biased website, right. and it provided you the information that you already feel was true, and you've ignored what doesn't fit that. Um, and so, to the idea that we are there is there is great journalism that's being done out there. Okay. Um, on a variety of things, you have to find it. You have to find it. And you, and you have to, and it has to be trusted. And the whole idea of being a journalistic enterprise is that you put those, uh, you put those, uh, uh, you know, uh, journalistic practices mm-hmm. into play of providing context, of making sure that all, uh, you know, uh, that all the different angles are being covered. And this is something that gets lost when this is where one of the key things I say to students, too, is about what's a trusted journalistic source. A journalistic source is one that you can one hallmark of a trusted journalistic source is when they make a mistake, they acknowledge that they made a mistake. They correct the mistake. Yes. And they they don't make that same mistake again. Mm -hmm. Okay, And so. This idea that the minute somebody reports something that then proves to not be 100% true, and they go, aha, they're not, they're not we're trustworthy. No. How do they handle it? Right. Do, do they, they have, redact? Do they redact? Issue do a they correction? Do they, and, and, and look, there are some you know, media outlets that we know uh, don't. They, yeah. just, they simply don't either. They either don't acknowledge that they made a mistake or something that's just just so overtly wrong just suddenly disappears. Right. So this is where I think that people, uh, to try and get back to that original point of a news desert, it's not just that there are less people, uh, less resources that are covering uh, stories. It's that there are, it's, there are less resources objectively trying to cover stories at a time when there are vastly infinite streams of information that are coming at people like a fire hose. Right. And it's so yeah. it's all so important. Right. I mean, really, it, it it's sometimes a matter of life or death. Like if you look at at COVID like what and what the county board is doing with COVID right now and how they're trying to curate this group of curate that's the word I was Yes. Like, this yeah. group of experts are trying to curate them to their position. These are people's what happened what's the next pandemic going to look like? How can you know, they're these 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 could be real life or death issues right. and they are not taking it seriously there's nothing serious about what they're doing they're really again trying to create distractions and things that like in my this is just my opinion but that appeal to their base well, you know there there there's a method to their madness yeah I mean, if you look anywhere in 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 the united states knock them off base so that other things can 
get pushed in without being right. looked at. Absolutely. And that's what's happening. I mean, you could see that everywhere. Right. You could see that everywhere. They start real small and mm-hmm. they do something and everybody's so, oh, oh. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden they've passed a bill that, you know. Yeah, it's all, is, it's all, it's like passed. And we're like, wait a second. We didn't see that. So there, there is a method to their madness. That's why it's very important for people like John. I think it's very important for people like John and his, his, his media presence and his way that he does things. And it's, we need more people like that, we which do. is what I'm hoping that we do. Yeah. Here. We're trying to fill in that blank a little bit on the show too, at least from a commentary perspective. And, you know, we do want to start talking a little bit about more statewide news, local news, things like that. That's, that's a direction that we're going to start heading in on the stir like some commentary at least but uh, we wish we could just sit here and talk to you all day john it's been so enlightening and we really appreciate the time that you've given to us i do have i do have one question sure sure do you think it will ever be unfractured (laughs) do you think there is a possibility no there's i mean that's a great question i mean because you're right but it's like there's no putting the genie back in the bottle i mean there's no world that social media doesn't exist uh, and so we have to learn to live with it. There's no, I mean, we have to learn, we have to learn how to use these tools to our advantage as opposed to letting corporate interests and really bad actors, yeah. uh, malevolent actors, talk yeah. about Elon, hi, uh, <laughs> who want to use these for purposes that are not for the public good. Um, and that's really what I'm hoping is that, that we can become more media literate, more uh, aware of uh, how disinformation is coming to us, how how we are being misinformed, and that we can uh, again know it when we see it, yeah, and um, and be less vulnerable as citizens uh, to that. And so that's really where I think that. It, so, like I said, social media is not going away. Uh, technologies of, look, AI is next. We yeah. didn't even oh. talk about AI. Yeah, I know. How it's AI scary. is going to change it's journalism, scary. how AI is, is going to change our entire culture. <laughs> I mean, it's already here. That's a whole different show. We're going to have, have to have you back. Yeah. <laughs> That's your only uh, solution right, here. Because so we've got I, elections I, coming up too yeah, next year, right. local elections. You know, it's so like, can we, I take, yeah. Can I take the onion at face value? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, oh, good. I'm going to start reading that then. All right. I the onion is fine. Sure. Not the bad lobby, but the onion is fine. How many times have you seen an onion headline and then you're like, oh my God. And you go, oh, it's the onion. And you yeah. like, how sad is I it that I thought it. for a second that was true? I, well, I, that's why I'm saying right. satirical yeah, stuff. Right. You know? we okay, I, I thought I'd ask you your, your opinion. Right. Right. Well, we thank you so much for your time. Thank we you. got you. We got you as yes. a gift. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. We have. Oh, T-shirts. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Oh, very nice. All right. Catch All right. it. Um, there you go. Yeah, we got you a shirt. Oh, thank so. you so much. Yeah. And we did t- well, a little bit over time today, folks, but we, you know, normally at this time, we do good vibes. We try to close our show up with good vibes. And we don't have any good vibes this well, we do. time well, around. We do. We do. It's right there. Look at it. It's right there it's on the wall. We got John here. Time. Come on. That We're is here. our good vibes. We got good yes. vibes. We got good vibes. Uh, yes. Oh, and yeah, I got the good vibes poster over there, too. I was pretty excited I found that. I ordered that online. But yeah, well, it's all good. I hope everybody found this in- informative. I really do. Because yeah. I think it's important that they know what's going on. So thank you. Thank you so much, John. We'll have you back anytime, okay? Thank you. All right, everyone. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, Tune in two weeks from now. We are going to be doing a show. (laughs) I haven't even talked about this, but we have a woman named Angie Roulier that's going to be on our show in two weeks. 
and we are doing a whole episode on cannabis. So get excited. It's going to be great. She's written a book. She lives out here in Deerfield. <laughs> Oh man! What? <laughs> we got you. Well, that, is there a studio audience for that channel? No. no. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, you know what? It, it's gonna. It, it is gonna be really good. So Angie's a local. She's written a book about cannabis, the stigmas around cannabis, and and, and medical use. It's it's gonna be awesome. So tune in two weeks from now. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great week, and we'll see you later. Peace. Peace out. Peace out. <laughs>